Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. It's already episode 8 of series 5 and today I'm talking to Jess who's an international early years practitioner. Hi, okay, so I'm here talking to Jess today and Jess, can you introduce yourself please? Yes, sure. Um, I'm Jess Gosling. I'm an early years teacher and I'm currently teaching in reception. I'm an international teacher. I've worked all over the world, um, including Vietnam, Taiwan and Egypt and now I'm based in Europe in Poland. I'm currently a whole school CBD lead and I'm soon to be a phase leader of nursery to year one. And I also authored a book, Becoming a Successful International Teacher, and I really like to write regularly. Um, One of the places that sometimes publish me is Times Educational Supplement. And I like to present CBD as well for conferences, especially EAL conferences and also for the National College. Lots and lots of pieces to dig into there, I'm sure. So before we get on with any of that... The phrase from page to practice, not necessarily the podcast, but the phrase from page to practice, what does it mean to you? I understand it as putting theory into the classroom. Um, I do love to read quite a lot. I love podcasts as well and online CBD too. But I think sometimes you can read um, great theory and ideas, but you've got to really try it out. So for me, it's taking those ideas, putting it into your classroom and reflecting on it deeply. Um, perhaps talking with colleagues about it as well and adjusting how you teach um, or how you work with the children. Um, And like I said, I think it goes beyond just a page now. I think um, we're super multimedia now, aren't we? Um, So I I would include any sort of CBD in that, that as well. Yeah, that's a really good point there, Paige. We do have really gone beyond the page now, haven't we? It's lovely. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Tell me a little bit, please, about what you've come to talk about today. You were one of the first enthusiastic people to kind of get signed up to to come on this new version of the podcast. So what were you hoping we could talk about? Um, For me, it's really language development. I think it's it's really, really important, especially early years, which is the area I work in. Um, I have researched quite a lot in this area, language development and EAL. I think early years is a really vast area for expertise. So that's why I'd like to talk about language development particularly. But in the early years, language is central to absolutely everything we do. Obviously, if they they don't get language and communication right, then they're not going to be able to speak about understanding of the world or even art. It even covers those areas, even maths. Um, And as I work with a majority of EAL children, this is really my interest. 
Great. So I have to say, I came into this conversation thinking, oh my goodness, like early years, this is an area I've got no clue about at all. But then again, the other day I had a conversation with someone who's an expert in primary maths. And again, an area I've got no idea about. And we had a lovely conversation because she was knowledgeable in what she was talking about and she kind of led it. So I'm hoping um, <laughs> you're you're ready to tell me a bit about this. So, you know, kind of, are there, are there any key big issues in this area at the moment, things people disagree on or kind of what's what's going on in this area? Yeah, so at the moment, I think speech and language is a really, really big area with um, young children. We're, com- we're finding they're coming in with um, difficulties speaking, but also communication issues, um, which, you know, you can, can turn into behavioural issues quite quickly. So I really identified this a couple of years ago where I was, I was seeing this increase because, I, I, like I said, I've always worked with the AL children, but I was seeing there's something a bit different here. You know, we can't even communicate in pre, you know, like nonverbal ways. You know, that there's, so I, I went on a course, um, Elkin Language course, um, which is for speech and language age three to five. And that just, again, that was, that was a book as well. So it, it was um, done both by a webinar and through a book. And I found it incredibly useful, just amazing it opened my eyes to so much I was seeing in the classroom um, and I think to be honest what's really really difficult for teachers is our training's often quite quick especially if you do the PGC route and you don't get any training per se or not very much training in special educational needs or speech and language communication issues and I think now it really is coming to a crux where we need that we need to identify the problems and then we need to be supporting those children straight away um, and it, to me it's as important as curriculum as important as the PSHE work we do all the time you know to make sure they're safe in the environment it feeds into that you know um, so that was sort of quite, that was a few years ago I, I did this course. But prior to that, when I was in my last school, we had an expert come to the school called Ewan Crisfield, who's um, written an awful lot about EAL children, how best to work with them. And she does extensive research on it. And this, um, she was fantastic with your page to practice idea because she gave us some ideas how to implement all her theory, all her research into our classrooms and also worked with us to develop a program over three years of how to build bilingual classrooms, um, which was fantastic. And it's something I really, really deeply support. Um, I feel the first language is incredibly important and we need to build on those very strong foundations first before we start, you know, enforcing English everywhere. Um, Because obviously they need the native language to be able to cross over to English and vice versa and learn learn the academics in both languages um so again this was a real I'd say this was the kind of time where I I really started being interested in research and I joined um the the national college I joined a few places to to try and get more research you know more recent research in different areas and I wrote for the impact journal as well and did some research with um my assistant head there as well about improving speech and language and improving um, the EAL experience for our our children. Um, But I found there's been lots and lots of ways to to be supported in this area. Another one is, um, I don't know if you've heard of Kathy Brodie. Um, She's an uh, early years giant and she has a speech and language um, summit every year. It's just finished now and it's just free and it's all... um, basically doctors and all kinds of people in the field that come and speak about their research and share also um, their websites, which is fantastic and supports teachers. Um, 
And there's also companies such as Bell Foundation and Noldic. They present quite a lot of um, conferences, again, to support teachers in, the, in this area. But my sort of argument is it, it's a real shame this, this doesn't happen naturally as part of a teacher's training, because I think, and I know the UK is the same, um, particularly after COVID, that the children are coming to us with more difficulties, you know, that there's perhaps been less interactions, um, you know, often because both te- both parents are working, for example, um, and teachers need to know how to support these children. So if someone came to you and said, look, oh, these, these, these issues you're talking about, I'm finding this too, like where on earth do I start? Where would you signpost them to go? Well, I, I said Elkin already. I would say that's a, that's a brilliant training course. Um, but if it's more that you want children to speak, maybe they're, you know, I, I find there's there's a lot of very quiet children. Of course, I have EAL, so it kind of can go hand in hand. But I've also found a brilliant program, um, Trisha Lee, um, Helicopter Stories, they're called. Um, Vivian Paley wrote about it originally. Well, she wrote, sorry, she she made a book about it and then Trisha Lee's carried on the research um, and this is where the children basically make stories and you scribe it for them and then they act it out. And I'm a massive fan and follower of this because this changed my practice because I was always, you know, kind of, I don't know how to say it, but, you know, feeding children stories and then expecting them to retell it. And maybe we do some drama as well. But that was all on my terms and the books I had chosen. You know, maybe they'd voted for the odd book, but when they actually produce a story with you and you read it out and they choose the characters and they get involved then I find even the most shy child who doesn't really want to talk will come up and want you know have their story told and it's, it's just quite magical really um so I'd signpost people definitely to that um and I would say also for speech language communication that course the Bell Foundation's great um there's also companies such as um Learning Village um it's like a, an EAL program for slightly older children, but I know a lot of schools are using that as well, and they do training in inset. Um, and I also found that it's like on a slightly different chat tangent, but it's, it's also thinking about speech and um, when we should work with the children, when we should leave them. Julie Fisher also interacting and interfering, sort of a seminal work about how we can move children's conversation on and how we can work with them when they're playing, but also how sometimes we need to stand back and watch them um, and let them develop the conversations with each other. You know, it's, it's trying to get that balance right. And like you say, early years is a, is quite a difficult area, I think, for a lot of people. I'm primary trained originally, so I actually went after my PGC and got a master's in early years because I also felt there's a depth of knowledge you know, need to know in early years um, that is mind-blowing. And, like, I, I love that you do this podcast particularly because I'm a big, big advocate for CBD and I continually want to read up and learn about more things. Um, and early years is just a, a huge, huge environment for that. Well, just picking up on something you'd said a little bit earlier, okay, it's kind of along the lines of what you're already talking about and then kind of heading towards into CPD, is that you mentioned doing some research and then um, for the Impact Journal. Yeah, so was that on this this same kind of area? What did you do? Did yes, you, how did it, you get involved in that? It was very, it was quite exciting. Um, basically, we, we could see that the children were coming in with more and more struggles, particularly language-based, and I felt they were coming in with less language than we'd had in previous years because I was in the same 
like setting for three years. So we decided that we try and find out the best ways to work with the children who you know, came in with virtually no language or very low language. And I thought the best way to do that would be an action research project where we all talk to each other. And we know often in school that just doesn't happen. <laughs> so I was getting lots of sort of anecdotal comments, particularly from my amazing team leader. But I was like, well, you've told me this and there's two other people in our team and we do have team meetings, but if they don't ask the right question, they're not going to know about it. Yeah, so we thought together that we should sit together and really talk through all the different strategies we were putting in place because having four teachers and at that time an amazing team leader as well, we thought we could just get all our ideas together and then make an action plan for the following year. So we did, um, we talked them through and then we put them in like term one, term two, term three, with term one being a lot of experiential learning, a lot of basic sentence structures, talking about the weekend, more simple books like Eric Carl, these kind of things, and then developing the language by the second term, bringing in um, the helicopter stories then because they're more confident um, using the language. And then by the third term, you know, more complex sentence structures and really making their own stories at that stage in their own books. And this was really useful, I think, to really have a very clear plan where we were headed with the children. Um, And also quite a creative plan because we had so many different people's ideas in there as well. I think you can be quite an island when you work by yourself. And I think within a team, you can just have the best ideas from each other. Um, And of course, it's totally suited to your children um, and your cohort of that particular time. So yeah, that worked really, really well. So we put that together and then I was talking to my assistant head who was, she was going for a PhD at the time. And I was like, we sort of said, should we publish it? Because it's, it's got some great ideas, especially I don't think there's so much work out there for international schools, basically so much research that's done in international schools. And um, so we hoped it could help um, worldwide and also EAL children in England. So we decided to put it together and we did um, quite quickly, actually. And we had a few, had it sent back a couple of times and then, yeah, it was published um, in Impact Journal. So that was that was quite lovely. Yeah, oh, that's great. It's something to get involved in, isn't it? Something that you can, I'll say, take part in so easily. And it's not easy. I don't mean like that at all. But I mean, it's accessible to you to be able to take part in that kind of thing and um, I've done some peer reviewing for the for the impact journals it's lovely to get to to read what comes through and and be part of that so that's great um so is there anything in particular you're before we go into kind of more CPD related things anything you're looking into in particular next with regards to the language acquisition thing that we've been talking about Um, I'm still working in these sort of areas really like um I'm looking to develop now, we're very much near the end of term, but I would really like the children to start, we've been doing these stories, like I've said, which is fantastic for their language, but you hit a point where they start just telling the same sort of stories with Sonic and Dr. Eggman. Uh, So not another one. So I've been trying to give them some other ideas with plans and pictures, but it's not really picking up on it. So I'm thinking about moving to the next stage where they have um, pictures in bags where there's setting Um, character problem resolution kind of things so the story can be totally random you know almost like um like an improv basically and have them up and see if we can make stories that way so that you know it broadens their experience a bit more it's more challenging obviously but 
now their language is very much more developed because we've put in all this language work with them. Um, that's the way we'll go next, really. Um, at the start of the year, really, I did focus, and this is a bit different to the UK, on a language curriculum um, because I, I really noticed that, you know, like we said, until the children can really speak, you know, at least a basic level of English and understand a lot, there, there isn't much point putting much else in. So I'm quite pleased with their progress this year. They do, they do talk a lot now. So. Great. <laughs> so thinking now about, about CPD, you're talking about what you do within your school for CPD or what you do wider than that. So my first question actually was, what are your favourite alternatives to books? Because we've talked about it not mm. all being about the page. What else can we be doing yeah. for CPD? Um, I really like podcasts, I've got to say. So I'm, I'm a big fan of Spotify and the podcasts on there. There's some brilliant EYFS ones. There's um, the Foundation Stage Forum, which is Tapestries one. Um, there's, a, there's a number of them where they give you like bite-sized CBD. So it's like 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and I scroll through, you know, obviously the areas that I'm interested in. But sometimes I try to go outside of that as well. Um, at the moment, because I'm moving into leadership, then I'm, I'm also looking at leadership. Um, they Lead Well is one that uh, I've been following. Um, I love Twitter. I'm a big fan of Twitter. I know people like it or hate it. Um, but I seem to follow a lot of very interesting people and schools, which I think is a great thing to follow, um, to find out how they're doing things. Um, and also just there's Twitter chats as well, which can be interesting. Like there's an SLT chat, for example, you know, the hashtag, I think. It's, it's a very, very su supportive community. And often I've, I'm also a big fan of Women Ed on Twitter. Um, I think everybody should be following Women Ed. But again, they are fantastic for CBD because they offer a lot of free events. Um, they blog, um, but also on a, a sense of just having people available to help you. Um, when I was going for a leadership role, I just put it on Twitter. Or, you know, what shall I do? I've never interviewed for leadership. And somebody from Women Ed contacted me straight away and we Zoomed then and there. You know, so these kind of connections are just fantastic. Um, I also, yeah, I really enjoy, like I've mentioned, um, the National College. I, I really enjoy online events too. Um, I think online CBD really does have a place as well, um, especially if it's it's quite specific shall we say it's not so broad um yeah and I enjoy Toddle also do quite a good few events I've followed their play event and they've done a leadership event which is again all free I think since the pandemic one good thing that's come out of it and I know a lot of people think it too is the amount of um, CBD you can access for free um and people are willing to to spend their time supporting other people overseas you know and Prior to the pandemic, I yeah, I, I can't say I had that much CBD unless it came to my school, um, which can be very limiting. Yeah, yeah. So as you say, there's so much out there. How do you even go about deciding what to engage with? Because sometimes there can be so much out there and it can be a little bit intimidating to know, you know, what, what to go for. Is there anything you do to decide, okay, I won't listen to that one today, I'm going to focus on this or? Yeah, I, usually if it's through a good company, you know, like it can be Cobis or like one of these big names, I know they're not really going to have, you know, um, speakers that don't know what they're talking about. I think, it's also quite easy to tell if you start one. And this has happened to me that because I do listen to quite a lot of webinars and it just seems, yeah, <laughs> it seems a bit droney or it's just not presented well or it's not very concise. Then I'll just stop it. I mean, because you, you can just do that, you know, um, 
But I think all the big companies, certainly, that put things out there are, are generally pretty good. Forbesir is another one for Asia. Um, I'm not sure what the UK equivalent is, really, but um, I think you can tell. Often things also run by schools are quite good as well. So like, I, I kind of make a CBD digest for my teachers at my school. So I go through Eventbrite. And, um, but generally, I, I honestly, I haven't had that bad CBD. You know, I, I think long gone is the day where teachers have to sit in a school for five hours listening to something that doesn't relate to them. I think people are quite quick to call that out now. And I think a lot more, yeah, a lot more CBD providers are, are gauging it for key stage one, key stage two, secondary, you know, EYFS, because they know it, it can't just be a blanket fits all kind of scheme anymore, really. So how can we yeah. support teachers in schools to kind of pick what they want and, and engage with what they need to and what they want to? You know, lots of schools, so you've just mentioned you do a CPD digest. Could you tell us maybe a little bit about that? Yeah, so it's just like a, every two or three weeks, it's a form which has lots of suggestions for them. But I do run a survey before that. So I do a survey at least three times a year. So I can find out what teachers are really feeling they need more training in. And then I can really develop that digest to match it. So sometimes I've done like an EAL digest or I've done a teaching assistance digest kind of thing, SEN digest. Um, but also I think it's important if someone is leading CBDs in the school is to just contact people directly because that's been quite interesting for me because I thought if I put it out there, you know, every Friday I'm available, come to me or email me whenever that people would do that. But I think actually it's not like that. And like people were writing some comments in the, I don't know if they didn't know if that I'd know or not, but in the survey. So I just emailed them straight away and said, okay, you, this, 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 you're interested in. These are the courses that you might like. Um, if there's anything else, you know, I can find it for you. So I think it's just being really friendly and open and, and just trying to help people. Um, but I do agree with you. I, I, I think as I find it so easy to find CBD, there's almost an, an abundance of it and things that I have to say, no, I'm not going to do that you know I'd like to go out the weekend I think for other people it is really overwhelming um and we have a lot in our school we have a lot of um TAs that are actually teachers so they're looking for their next step and I, if they've already done the TA qualification it's like you're already a teacher but you're a teacher a Polish teacher so there isn't a, an easy next step for you so for me I'm trying to give them more courses that relate to the national curriculum so then they can un understand our curriculum more than anything um yeah, it's important mm. to be focused on kind of what what it is you're interested in what you want to engage with isn't it so is there anything you do after your cpd or after what you've listened to or read in terms of helping you reflect or sharing with others yeah i try to um use it in the classroom if i think it's going to be useful sometimes a cbd will just trigger me something i should have done and have forgotten about and i think oh yeah yeah i, I heard about it before i'll try that um i like to write about it quite a bit and i will tweet about really good cpd because i do feel then obviously gives recognition to the person who's taken the time to make the cbd but it's also great for other people because for example in twitter i have a lot of early years followers so then they can use that information too. Um, and I put it on LinkedIn as well, of course, like articles and things that, um, and I try to connect with the people quite often too, because then it's good to follow them. But as you know already that they've said something interesting and you're interested in it, then 
if you follow them, they should be posting more things for you. So is there anything remaining that you came to speak about that we haven't had a chance to related to the two areas kind of we've discussed? I would say one more going back a bit to speech and language and development is that I think the most important thing is to make it really, really fun as well. I think when I said, you know, we make a language curriculum, it's it's in a really enjoyable way. Like the children are tasting food and talking about the flavours. Um, they're having experiences where they're touching things and talking about the textures. It's remembering that the children are still really young. And even if... Um, you desperately need them to have some language. They're not really going to learn it unless it's engaging and you're repeating it many, many times. Um, and that's another thing with the books I mentioned uh, over the um, action plan. Term one would really be doing the same book four or five times in different ways and they might act it by the end of it. So again, they're hearing that constant repetition and I think that's really how they pick up language. And one last person I'd like to mention as well that brings a lot of fun into it all is um, Greg Bottrell. He's also, um, he was a head originally, but now he's um, he's written books for early years. And he's all about making um, the books really fun and really silly and doing drawing related to the books, but also bringing in fantastic vocabulary with them, like, um, you know, disgraceful and, um, you know, disgusting and all these, these bigger words related to the books so the children pick up that vocabulary as well. So he's a good one to look up for, for developing language too. And there's lots of parallels there. You know, we came into this conversation with me saying, oh my goodness, early years, but you're talking about language development, which as, a, as an MFL teacher, there's a lot there that I'm hearing going, oh, yeah, there's things that we can apply. You've just got the added extra complication of being having much younger children trying to learn an additional language but yeah it just it was sparking something in me going oh yeah there is there's always something to take away from talking to someone from a completely different subject background or age range and I think that just that proved that one to me there really so before we move on into that final section um, how can people connect with you if they want to talk to you a little bit more about this so Twitter is a great one. I'm Jess Gosling too, quite easy to remember. I have a webpage as well and you can contact me there. Um, it's jessgoslingearlyyearsteacher.com. Um, I also have access to my Facebook page there, which um, basically is for te teachers who are considering becoming an international teacher. It's completely free. Lots of veteran teachers on there that are happy to support and my articles are all on there and my podcasts and CBD that I've done too. So a whole wealth of things for people to dip into. That's what I like at the end of each of these episodes. You know, somebody mentions something that means that somebody listening is going to go and dig into all of that stuff and open a whole new load of things to themselves. Sign up to receive the From Page to Practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests, as well as information on upcoming episodes. Find the link in the show notes for this episode. Final section then, it's the CPD library round. Now, anybody who's listened to the episodes I've I've already done at this point will know that um, I originally intended this to be a quick fire round. And then I realized I was talking to teachers and they would want to give explanations and reasons and, you know, stories behind things. So that's gone out the window. Um, but this is the, the round where I'm going to give you a set of categories. Um, and it doesn't have to be a book. It could be a podcast, an article a particular CPD course, a person you've spoken to, whatever, uh, that relates to that particular area for you. So the first one is first got you into evidence-informed practice. 
Okay, and this is a very random, obscure one. I'm sure you won't have heard of it. <laughs> oh, I'm um, looking forward to this. <laughs> it's when I did my master's, I came across Caroline Bly, who works at Leeds Beckett University, and she wrote about the social-cultural understanding of the silent period for EAL children. Now, I had identified that I did have lots of children that were very quiet or, I thought, mute. And I didn't really know what to do with them. I didn't really know if they were learning anything. I knew they were there, and I tried to interact with them and all this, but I didn't know what was going on. And she just opened up the world to me to understand that they were observing, they were learning all the social cues, and this was perfectly okay. So that kind of got me interested. It was nice, really nice to know, you know, I'm not bad at what I'm doing. This is completely normal. And this, in fact, we shouldn't try to change this. Let them get through this period, support how we can, and um, they will come out the other side, which they do, of course. That's a really <laughs> lovely example because it's very specific to, to you, but it really explains the journey you've then gone on with everything else. So I really like that example. You're right. I had no idea what it was. <laughs> um, resonated with you the most? I would say Greg Bottrell, who I've mentioned before, Can I Go and Play Now? I just love that title of the book. And it gives me like goosebumps and it's a bit silly because I remember because I was a year one teacher for a while and that's how I started year one was you did your work and then you could go play after it, which is all they wanted to do. And it, we know now it should be kind of all integrated. And, you know, it's it's I love how he writes and how he considers from the child's perspective everything. And he makes some really great ideas for teachers and really great pedagogy so that the child is the centre of everything and they still have agency and control of what they're doing. So that resonated with me most because I read every page and was like, yeah, he's right, he's right, he's right. You know, like it's, <laughs> it's a great book. Yeah, sometimes it's nice to have those. Yeah, actually, I really agree with that kind of, kind of moments, isn't it? And I like that title too. Um, so challenged your views. I would say, again, Bly was the first one that did that for me because, like I said, I was fairly new, um, a few years teaching EAL at that point, and you do always have worries as a teacher that you're not doing something right. Or And again, it's, it's an area that I never explored in my teaching um, practice in the UK or in any of my course. So um, she challenged my views to thinking, no, the children were still learning, even if they're not talking. So, yeah, I would say her, her article. Okay. And had the biggest impact on your practice? There's a few, so that's hard. But I think I'll probably go for, uh, yeah, the interacting or interfering with Julie Fisher was a big one um, because if you go from primary to early years, you think that you should always be interacting with children and teaching, teaching, teaching them. You know, they sit next to something. You should be saying, okay, how many do you have? Let's count them. You know, what color is it? All these annoying questions that you shouldn't be doing with them. So she opens up the world of, no, you've got to, you know, you've really got to think about the next steps. You shouldn't just be testing them. They know it's a test. Her, her sort of comment is if, if you know the answer, why are you asking them? Uh, which is quite, quite, you know, it sees again, children as really intelligent from, from a very young age. So that one had a big impact, but I'd also say very briefly, the Trisha Lee, again, helicopter stories had a huge impact for me as well. Um, it's quite magical to create stories with them. So I have to say two, sorry. That's fine. I'll, I'll allow it. I'll let you off. Um, should be required reading for either early career teachers or teacher trainees? I'm going to be EOFS specific because it's a field that I've really had to do a lot of reading into because I, you know, I think it's a huge field. But um, 
Getting the EYFS Practice Right by um, Volens and Julian Grenier um, is fantastic. It's basically, it goes, what's, sorry, getting the EYFS curriculum right. Um, it goes through every part of the EYFS curriculum as well as also um, EAL and SEN. And every single chapter is, it just affirms what I've been learning over the past like eight years in early years. So I, I just felt myself nodding and agreeing with all of it. And I did learn a little bit here and there, but it's like these practitioners have had so much experience and so much expertise. They put it in bite-sized chapters for people. So if you're training in EYFS, I'd say recommend get that because it's so accessible. It's easy to read. And um, it gives you a lot of things I wish I knew when I was first starting out. Yeah, that's the yeah. thing, isn't it? When you pick up a book and go, yeah, I know all of this now, but it's taken me this many years to get here. If I could just pass this to a new teacher, imagine the start they're going to have. So it sounds like one of those kinds of books. It's really good, yeah. Uh, where am I on my list? Oh, Inspired You. Inspired me, um, the Women Ed books. Um, they have written two books, um, about first about just being strong in yourself as a female teacher and being braver. They have that um, 10% braver idea of just trying, you know, trying to get, push yourself out of your comfort zone a little bit more. And they also have a leadership book. So they've inspired me because I don't think I would ever even gone towards being, thinking about being a leader before I worked with them. So to me, that's, that's huge, really. They make you believe that, yes, you are good enough to do it. And there's lots of examples of stories from people who, you know, you can sort of identify with quite easily. Um, and yeah, I would say that definitely those two books inspired me the most. Yeah. I spoke to someone else recently who said almost, you know, word for word, the same kinds of things that she felt empowered by the things she'd read and the interaction she'd had with people from Women Ed. So it's a fantastic uh, thing to get involved with. Um, most recent read... So on, on the Women Ed side, they're doing a third book, and I'm going to do a chapter for their third book, which is very exciting. Oh, yeah. Um, about imposter syndrome. So I've been reading Love Your Imposter Syndrome by Rita Clifton. Some useful parts in it, um, quite helpful because I'm, I'm researching now. Um, but I would say, yeah, that, that's been quite, quite good because I've never really explored imposter syndrome. I know... It's an interesting idea because it's not really a syndrome. You know, it's, it's two words, basically. But it's like, um, it's it's interesting for me because I can relate to some things, but I know I've worked through that really now. And now I'm in my 40s. I, I feel I'm over it, quite honestly. But it's, it's great to read, um, actually, texts about imposter syndrome. That's a really interesting one. I look forward to reading that because I was talking to someone just the other day, in fact, on another one of these recordings where they said they felt like an imposter coming on and talking about, you know, their own podcast and things and, and talked a little bit about imposter syndrome. It's a really interesting area, isn't it? It's a real shame that, that people yeah. have it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. 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 It stops a lot of people from a lot of things, doesn't it? Mm -hmm, so. Definitely. Uh, what's next on the to be read list or to be I have it. Well, I've got um, a bookshelf of things to be read next. So my next one is um, Bruce Swells and Aaron Bradbury have written um, a book about theories in EYFS, like theorists. Um, and that sort of goes from the page to practice idea, doesn't it? So Absolutely. there's some of the old theorists that I know of, you know, like um, 
um, Montessori, these kind of people, but there's also the modern day people and, and their ideas. So again, it's a bit like the book I mentioned before with Grenier and Volens. It's it's chapters, um, small chapters in of each theorist. Um, so you can go and explore further if you're interested. So that is more designed, I think, for people who are just starting out in EYFS, but I like to have a really broad idea of everything. So yeah. <laughs> um, I find it quite useful as well. Great. And then this last one, people have taken this in different directions. So the category is doesn't exist, but should. So it could be that you think, oh, this book, you know, is and this is an area that I'm really interested in and it's not all together in one book. Or it could be, oh, there's an area that I'd really like to know more about and I just can't find any reading on it. Or as a newly qualified teacher, I would have really loved to have seen a book on take it however you wish. Hmm. I would say coming from primary into early years, um, I would really love, and I've heard a lot of people say this, a book, a really thick book perhaps, of the different areas of learning and examples of children's play and how it's been extended. And that could be in terms of the language, of the resources, of um, the room design, anything. Now, there is some like that, um, like in the moment planning, there's a book, there's a series of book for each year group, but, you know, it's, it's a very thin book with, with some examples. But I think we need to make a big book to just give people a starting point, you know, some ideas, oh, I could set this up and I then this would really develop this way, this way, this way. Um, and I have said to people to make this book, people who I know are very, very good at inquiry-led learning. Um, so hopefully in the future something like that will come out and maybe we can all contribute to it even um, a big a big play manual would be awesome. Yeah. It sounds like one of those books that could have a lot of people contributing it to it, doesn't it? And that's happening more and more now, I think, as well, isn't it? Where there's one book that there's one main editor, but lots and lots of people have well, like the women ed books, actually, where people have contributed to it. So well, thank you for coming and giving up your time today, Jess. I um like I said earlier, it's you know, an area that I've got absolutely no no knowledge of and actually I think it's going to bring a a set of different people to listening to to the podcast because it's nice to get to an opportunity to speak to someone whose experience really couldn't be further from 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 where I am and get to talk about something completely completely different but before we go is there anything you want to say anything you want to pick up on just before we finish off it's it's been lovely to talk to you and I really appreciate that you do these podcasts as well this is great for all of us to listen to and get new ideas from so thank you very much oh well thank you for taking part and hopefully you know there'll be some some more people coming along like you to take part and and teach me more about areas that I've got really no clue about (laughs) thanks are you interested in evidence-informed practice do you have a favorite edgy book have an idea of what great CPD is and should be or to just generally have a chat about education please sign up to join me for a conversation I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. In the next episode, I speak to Jo, an MFL teacher, about how she keeps engaged with CPD beyond her school and why she thinks it's important to do so. You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag page practice podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com 
for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons.